Welcome to Your Brand Amplified, the podcast where we interview marketers, publicists, and brands to learn their stories, what makes them tick, and tips and tricks that make a difference. I'm Annika Jackson, back with another episode of Your Brand Amplified, and I'm super thrilled to have John Sarakis on the show today. John, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I know we've had to reschedule a couple of times, but I'm glad we finally made it. (laughs) Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. So please tell us all about John. Who are you? What do you do? And what brought you to the world of marketing? Yeah, I own uh, an agency and it's a merger between a couple other agencies. I've been in the business for about 20 years. And this agency has been around since 2008. We're, we're pretty small, just over 30. Mm. Help people with web development, uh, digital marketing campaigns. We actually even do some software as well. Oh, wow. And I got into this. My father owned a, a small construction company and I got in an argument with him and he made an example of me when I j- just started college where he fired me in front of a group of people. And I was telling this story to another guy I was going to school with. And he said, well, my dad and I just started this marketing company. Why don't you come to work for us? So I went to work for them and that company rapidly grew. I was either the third or fourth employee, I can't remember. And after a number of years, it got entirely too corporate, got Mm. bureaucratic and I didn't like it. So I thought it was a brilliant idea to start a business in the pit of the recession in in 2008. (laughs) And that's what I did. So I quit that and started an agency. Wonderful. What did you major in? Were you interested in marketing or was this something you fell into and discovered that you were good at? I majored in marketing. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I did. It it was interesting. I remember when I was going to school, they were talking about the whole C-suite and they had like CFOs. They had like the longest tenure and then there was like CEOs. They were like three to six years. And then there was CMOs. It was like 12 to 18 months. And I was like, I think I may have chose the wrong major here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think because there's a bit of magic that's involved because you can have all everything go right on the marketing side. But if there's failures on the production end of whatever the product is or the service, that's going to make marketing's job that much harder. And I think it touches everything. If you're the CFO, you just have to make sure that investments are being made well. And there's this really simple game plan, not easy, but simple. And on the marketing side, everything has to be new and fresh. And there's so many different variables that are involved that it just makes it inherently difficult. And the marketing guy always or gal always gets the blame, depending on what happens. It's interesting because often it's the first place that gets cut, but it's the place that shouldn't get cut. Because if there is a recession which I know there's a lot of talk. Some people think we're in one already. Some people think we're coming up on one. I know from my experience working with clients, I'm able to show when we do a PR campaign, we increase your web traffic by 200x percent. But then we need to make sure that whoever's doing your marketing conversion from your website, right? Mm-hmm. Has the right calls to action on your website. Has you know It's accessible. Like People feel welcomed and they feel like they can click and get through to you right away. So we take it to one area, but then we need somebody like you to come in and then finish out that project, right? Yep, Yep, absolutely. Yeah, but it's something that I encourage everybody to don't cut your marketing dollars, don't cut your communication, your PR dollars, because how else are you going to cut through all the other companies out there that are doing maybe not quite what you do, but pretty similar, right? So Yeah, and I remember in 08, what happened is everybody contracted their budgets and but the companies that didn't were that much more (laughs) successful. The one thing though, I think inherently happened, even with companies that didn't cut their budget, everybody played it really safe. Nobody was taking any risks. 
So it was very traditional things that they would do. It was, uh, and then I would just remember fighting with people, just logo bigger, logo bigger. We, we want the logo. It was like, all right, all right, we, we got we to tone this down. I mean, we can only make it so big. I mean, otherwise the whole ad is just your logo. Yeah. And I think that's something else that's interesting, right? People often think branding is just your logo, yeah. but it's the messaging and all the other stuff. Like, what are you trying to pull out from the audience? So, but I'd love to talk and explore. So you worked for your father's company. So you saw entrepreneurship in action. Yep. You went to work for this other company as a team member, started getting big in corporate. Some people thrive in that. Some people don't. I think you and I are both people who thrive outside of that <laughs> environment. And then you became you know, an entrepreneur in your own right, starting your own ventures. What was the biggest challenge when you went from employee to owner? Learning that you really can't do it all because I had this vision that everything would just in some senses fall into place. Now, granted, sometimes when everything seems like it's falling apart, it actually is falling into place. <laughs> but I didn't realize all of the different facets that I needed. So and I think it was just I continually was just on the edge of burnout. And mm. it's, it's an exciting thing to do. But when you're working like 18 hours, and you're trying <laughs> to like make sure that you're hitting deadlines, and you're doing sales, and you're doing bookkeeping, and you're doing a lot of the, the work that's in the production, it can be a bit overwhelming. The other thing too, is just what a profit margin is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> just don't really understand what that is, myself in, included at first. So I think those were some of the hardest one lessons. But the one thing to my father's credit, he always said something which was no matter what, always finish the house. So we'd get stuck in really bad projects. And my logic was always finish no matter what, essentially don't quit. And then to that, we got a great reputation. But what happened is some people would take advantage of that and they didn't end up paying us. So now we learn contractually all the things you have to put in place. And when you get to those points, just you look at it like it's gas in the tank. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, look, this is we're not building a house here. All right. We're taking you somewhere. All right. Mm-hmm. You only put so much gas in the tank. You can't put any more in the tank. We can't take you any further. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good analogy. I'm going to have to remember that because I think that you're hitting the nail on the head with one of the biggest issues we have as entrepreneurs is if we don't have a financial background, figuring out that financial forecasting, but then also what do you do with those clients who decide, oh, I need to put money somewhere else. So I'm not going to pay you this month or, oh, I lost this funding source. So I'm not going to pay you, even though you already executed the work, you already had to pay your team. Yeah. And, And you said that too, the team, and that's where it's interesting people. It's like, I have to pay my team. So it's like you're paying yours. So it's weird. There's there's like this logic disconnect that happens. But and I guess one of the other lessons I learned was letting people know that we are a business and a profit does exist. Where mm-hmm. we'll even tell people like, hey, look, we're not a clubhouse. We might enjoy what we're doing, but not to the point where we want to do it for free. Right. So I think it's just being really clear and upfront about the dollars with clients to the point where even in our sales process and our early engagements, we talk about money early on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, get start familiarizing themselves with the budget. And then before we even like give a proposal, we tell them exactly what the number is going to be. And if mm-hmm. they don't agree with the number, we're not going to mm-hmm. deliver a proposal. So that's something else that at first I was very uncomfortable because I think it's just part of our culture. Like, oh no, don't talk about the money and it'll right. just work itself out. No, it doesn't. It's going to come and bite you if you're not careful. Yeah. So how did you decide what kind of marketing business you would be? There's so many different things you can do in the world of marketing and comms and integrated marketing. And you know, it's it can be hard to narrow down. So how did you figure out your zone of genius that you now offer to the world through your agency? 
Appreciate the word genius. I don't know if I'm on my phone. Or <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so when I was working for this other marketing company, everything was pretty traditional, right? So they would do lots of mailers and they would do lots of newspaper ads and, and things that were more of a, a traditional model. And what I like doing is I said, like, all right, let's develop some websites. We got into some websites for some of our clients. And then we started doing some Google AdWords and it was just slowly mm -hmm. trickling all these things in and learning SEO. So over the years, it was figuring out like, oh, this stuff really works. And that's where I decided, I think the biggest point of growth was for the industry and where my point of interest was. Nothing against, there's amazing ads that are put mm -hmm. in newspapers and in direct mail and whatnot. But I think that was my easiest point of entry. And that's where it actually gave me energy rather than essentially took away from it. Yeah, that's so important. Do use the word genius because I feel like we all have that thing that we're really good at and that we're passionate about. And you found that. So that is your genius. So Aww. don't shy away from that word. <laughs> Trying to encourage people to be positive about believing our own hype. Like yeah. know, know what you live in, know what you're really good at and do that. Right? That's marketing. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And I love it. And one thing I love about marketing, when you're telling a story, you embellish a little bit and you're like, ah, I embellished a little bit to a, you know, a room. You're like, but I'm a marketer. And they're like, ah, it's all right. He's a marketer. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. So I know things have changed, but they've also stayed the same. What do you see as some of the big changes in the industry right now and, and some of the trends as we look into 2023 and down the road? I think influencer marketing is going to take a shift, especially mm -hmm. with the stuff that just took with like FTX, mm -hmm. where it's that that downfall, people are being sued, what happened with Kim Kardashian. So I think that's going to change a little bit whether you're going to see the influencers, some type of disclaimer, because they're now representatives of a product or service. And if it fails, it appears that they are liable. Wow. I mean, Kim Kardashian had to settle hers. So I think that's going to change a little bit, but influencer marketing is still a great way to reach an audience. Hmm. I say that's the biggest. And I think the other two is on the marketing side, it's continually more and becoming more difficult to cut through the noise. So I think we're going to see more like reciprocation campaigns where there's some type of gift for an action. Mm -hmm. So those deals for the consumer are going to become that much sweeter, mm -hmm. especially as we begin to get into a recession and people start pulling back budgets. And then you have the smarter ones that they're going to double down. So I say, I think those are going to be the two biggest where people can pull levers that'll make them that much more successful. Yeah. Thank you. And I feel like that has to do with influencer marketing too, because I wanted to ask, do you see more of a trend? So influencers are being held more accountable or will be being held more accountable. Do you see any trends versus macro versus micro influencers in the future as well? Well, I think there's definitely going to be more micros that mm -hmm. are coming because just I think Seth Godin said niche until it hurts. And that's pretty good advice for, for most people. So I think so. And then, and then to that, I think on the micro influencers, unfortunately, I feel that they'll probably think they're the exception to the, the wider rule. So I mean, uh -huh. I think that's where the, the legality stuff might happen. But yeah, I think that's going to continue. And there's some really great platforms that come to mind where you can access micro influencers mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And I was thinking that I have some friends in that community too, who work mostly with micro influencers and the stories they tell me about, yeah, that we don't offer a lot of money, but they get the product for free yeah. or, you know, and they get a little bit of cash. So I think as we're going into recession as well, that's something that more and more people will want to look at as a way to cut back on expenses, maybe not make a ton of money, but be able to get products that you would use or product categories, you know, that you would use for that's free. 
That's so. a great point. I remember we were doing a campaign. It was for it was a product for women. And then the, the largest segment was mommy bloggers. That's what they call them. So they're mm -hmm. these mommy bloggers. And man, these women were so, so great at negotiations. They would, <laughs> they got so much free stuff from us. Like it was unbelievable. Like what we went in with and like what they walked away with was substantially more. I was like, did that just happen? Like we just agreed to all that. Yeah. Oh but they gosh. did a great job in promoting the product. So they knew their value. And I think that's the other thing to anybody that's a micro influencer, know your value and know what it's worth. And yeah, just don't BS on your numbers and just do what you can to sell your clients products. Nice. Is there a specific kind of client or category that you work with typically? You know, we, we just look for people that respect what it is that we do and like to pay our, their bills on time. So we've <laughs> sold everything from, you know, all, all different types of clothing to, you know, steel piping to, oh. you know, B2B in the construction side to ice cream and, and everything in between. So yeah, I, I don't really have one. And I think that's kind of the fun of it, where mm -hmm. you get to pull all of these different things that you've learned from other industries and, and tether them over. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Again, same wavelength with you. I have like some categories like startups, nonprofits, but then within yeah. that, it's a, a big range of products that we work with. And that keeps it fun and interesting. And you get to read about the different trends going on and you have to know a little bit about a lot of different things. Yeah. And then also be open. One thing I like is just being transparent with them. Be like, yeah, well, we don't have data scientists on our staff. Like mm -hmm. we're going to have to pay for those people. Like, and they're just working those things into the budget, just knowing that you're going to deliver on your promise and you're going to be able to execute, I think are, are the main things. And just having something that's different and fresh approach, not getting into that tried and true, like what we'll, I'll call like the basic marketing playbook where it's just like, okay, we're going to do these things and you buy your package for $5,000 and move on. Like now I would take a more bespoke approach and just really yeah. try to figure it out and work with their budget to drive the highest impact. Nice. And you said you also do some development work, some software development. How did that yeah. come to be? So the, we're, we're the combination of two different agencies merging. One is a marketing agency and the other was a, a development agency. Oh. That, so in that, the idea is we can provide like a true end-to-end -end solution for our clients. So mm -hmm. whether it's a startup, we can build their MVP and we can then market it from there on or any clients, whether it's just, you know, building out their entire web presence and everything out the door. And it's not just, oh, hey, we know a little bit about SEO. It's like, no, we know a hell of a lot about <laughs> SEO and we're, we're really damn good at it for social media as well or any of the paid or programmatic stuff therein. Nice. John, what continues to inspire and motivate you to continue down this path? You've had a lot of success, president and chief revenue officer, if I'm yes. not reading your titles correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I think what drives me is one, I love building teams and seeing them achieve their potential. I think that's that that's a big driver. And then the other is when you work with really good people, you can help them realize essentially their entrepreneurial dreams or their ability nice. to hire. When I first started my agency, the one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to create jobs, right? Because that same construction company that my father fired me from, when they were in the recession, that company went out of business. Oh, wow. They were literally, my parents were looking for jobs. Yeah, oh it, it was crazy. So in that was part of the genesis of when I started my agency, I wanted to, it was called Revital and merged in, we created Oyova, was to revitalize these mom and pop businesses and give them a form of protection, which is a brand, yeah. right? Because that's what it is. There's, there's equity in that. And so that's what I've always tried to carry over to all my clients. And that would used to be a question I would ask 
one, we still ask this question, like, are you prepared to grow? And do you want to grow? If somebody says no to that, it's like, okay, well, we're not a maintenance company. And then the other question would be, it's like, okay, how many jobs do you think you would create if this was a successful campaign? So that's one thing that I always look at, like, okay, like, is this going to be something that is going to, you know, help our brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers do what they need to do, find their purpose in working for one of these companies? My gosh, that's so impactful. And what a question to ask. I don't know very many marketers and agencies who ask that, if any. You're probably the first one I've heard ask that question. And I think that is so meaningful. So thank you for bringing that kind of care to your clients. Yeah. Yeah. Some have given me really terrible answers. About <laughs> I don't have to hire anybody and we can just go ahead and rake in the profits. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if this one's going to be a good fit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What do you see as some of the biggest mistakes clients have made when they come to you and they've tried doing different things or, you know, and you have to either go back and correct or educate them on, okay, but we need to make sure that these things are done so that you can really, you know, map to your goals and yeah. One is where they don't change a vision. And I don't mean like the grand scheme overall vision, but like the vision of the project where if you're developing, whether it's a website or a campaign and it's not fully fleshed out, they want to just keep interjecting all of these different things. It just shows really a lack of confidence and a lack of trust. I think another issue I see with clients is where they just treat their agencies like vendors and they don't understand what a partnership is. Yes. And they create these silos and there's like this protection. Mm -hmm. Like when we work with a CMO, we tell them, look, our job is to make you look like a rock star. Mm -hmm. And just understanding that. And when you have, when you're working with a CMO and he or she feels that you're going to steal some of their thunder, it's a very contentious relationship. You're never going to look good because at the same time, they're just trying trying to do whatever they can to make themselves look good and they're not going to share information. So I think that transparency back and forth is paramount. We've seen clients make mistakes. And then also not seeing a campaign all the way through. We've seen that where there was something that was working and it's trending up based on the numbers that you predicted and they want to go ahead and pull the plug and shift those dollars elsewhere. And it's just like, ugh, it's like, we're on the way there. Like just, and you try to fight for it, but you know, you can only do what you can do. Yeah. Do you find those are the clients that expect results in 24 hours or like some timeline that might not be realistic for... I always tell people PR is a marathon, not a sprint. Oh, yeah. We can probably get some really quick results. And we have if it's the right timing, you know, for that client's offering. But the longevity, we're going to see better results in three months, six months. And we're going to have journalists who we pitched come back to us in six months, eight months, even sometimes. And they've held on to the client's information and they're like, okay, now I'm ready to write about them. And as marketers and PR people, sometimes we have to go, okay, we're not working with them, but we're still going to pretend we are and we're going to be nice. And, you know, we're going to do the good thing (laughs) (laughs) with our relationship. PR side is all those relationships. Yeah. yeah. And then those are, those are hard won relationships. And then it's just making sure that you're building that relationship and somebody trusts you to, to publish those stories. We see the, and we want it right now when the, there's SEO campaigns. So we tell the client, like, look, you're not really going to see any really results for like a year. Mm-hmm. So we just get up front. Now, granted, sometimes we'll see something in three or six months and that's just wonderful and sweet, but we just start trying to set expectations immediately. Yeah. If somebody comes to us 
as if we're an ER. Okay, like, there's not a whole lot we can do here. And if it is like an ER and you want us to do something like that, you're going to pay through the nose. This isn't your walk-in clinic down the street. Mm-hmm. You're going to be paying substantially more. So we just try to educate people with those types of analogies to, to let them know. Yeah, if somebody's backs against the wall and they need to drive business immediately, chances are that there's something else that's wrong. Not that you shouldn't investigate and try to help that person, but you also have to be compassionate to yourself and realize, I'm literally going to bring this in and this could get rid of all my employees because if they make my employees lives hell. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're going to fire them for me. And and I don't want that. Have you had that situation before? Because I know I've had difficult clients where I've had team members that were some of my most valued team members say, you know what, I need to take a break or I need to quit right now because I'm exhausted from working on that project. Yeah. I've had team members come to me. There's this account we had maybe a year ago and my account manager said like, hey, I cannot work with this lady anymore. She's She's brutal. And I said, okay, all right, that's fine. So I said, let me let me just talk to her. So I, I call the the lady and she was brutal. Like she starts like shouting at me. And I told her, and I had to talk to her like a child. Like, don't talk to me like that. I was like, all right, that's unnecessary. And I had to like calm her down. So then I called her boss and I told her boss, like, hey, look, I think there's a problem here, but I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna switch the account managers out because mm-hmm. the other one's ready to quit and I wanna keep her. She's a fantastic <laughs> account manager, but this other one wants to give it a shot. And he said, like, okay, all right, fine. So I have this other account manager on the account and he comes to me a week later. He's like, dude, he's like, I'm going to quit. He's like, I can't stand this woman. Oh so then God. I call the owner again <laughs> and I said like, hey, look, there's a decision you can make here. Either A, I'm going to fire your account or B, you have to replace the person that is our point of contact. Yeah. And to his credit, he did. He replaced her and he said, yeah, th- th- these aren't the only complaints. And I couldn't imagine they were. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and that's what we call puppy kickers. There's some people out there yeah. that just want to see somebody else hurt. And then when you have a puppy kicker, you're like, okay, well, you have to protect your puppies and you need to make sure that that client's nowhere near your company. And I would not be afraid to fire those people, get rid of them as quick as possible. Yeah. Now, on the other side, what's a positive story? Somebody who came to you and you just shot the results out of the water and they were so happy. I'm sure that's the more common story. It is, absolutely. No. <laughs> so we had these two guys that contacted me and it was like, oh, I think it was like, oh, either 08 or 09. And they were an AC company. All they had is one truck. They had a magnet on the side. And in 10 years, we grew that company to sell for, I was like 20 or 25 million. They were just doing like a few thousand dollars a month. Just two guys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they, (laughs) they created their retirement. And then we just did that with creating just really, really strong campaigns and just continually pushing and then growing their list and then marketing to their list and asking for referrals. Just, yeah. And they were brilliant guys. It's not like we did it all on our own. They had to deliver their product and their service and hire really good people. They were just two really humble guys. And now they're, they're, they're sitting pretty on their own. Yeah. So what is the next step and phase for you and your company right now? Yeah, we're continually growing. We're looking at, we've been on the Inc. 5000, I think the last three years. I think we're on it this year as well. So we, we've had pretty good growth. But yeah, so the next stage, what we've been doing internally is we've given the our entire team thinking tests to understand how everybody thinks. It's this thing called the whole brain thinking. So that way we're putting together teams that have creative analytical, emotional, as well as process-based thinking. So it's like four quadrants and people typically have two of those quadrants. So we're making sure that our work is being done with a whole brain of thought 
Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And as far as growth, what we're looking at in so far as the clients that we're targeting are just essentially something I wish I did a long time ago is we're looking for clients that are not only going to grow as a company, but could also feed us other business. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And then as far as the creative side, that whole brain thinking, we're actually now it literally maps out who your creatives are, because it's the yellow piece of it. They think in that way. So I think that's how we're going to approach our work is along those lines. Yeah, that's that sounds like a really fun adventure and project to go on with your team. To make sure everybody was apprehensive though, because I I was clear, I was like, this is not a personality test. This is the thinking test. These are vastly different things. But I think that's Mm -hmm. going to help us edge out some of the competition based on the campaigns that we're putting together. Think about it from every possible point of view. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, how do people find you? And is there anything special that you want to offer to the audience? Or is there anything that you're doing? You know, do you have a book, mastermind, a special project? Yeah, I'm writing a book. Ah. We'll have to have you come back on when you finish that. <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way. Just look up John Syracus. So last name is T-S-O-U-R-A-K-I-S. And uh, yeah, love to connect with new people. And as far as a mastermind, I do. I have a mastermind for marketers, technologists, and especially agency owners. It's digitalmastermind.com. Go ahead and apply. We'll have a conversation. We'll see if you're a fit. And yeah, that's about it. And yeah, and if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Love to help. Nice. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today about the world of marketing, about being an entrepreneur? Yeah. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. If you're not, then (laughs) there's so many good things that are going to pass you by. I got this information. There was an agency owner that had failed when I had started mine. And Mm -hmm. I asked him, I was like, what's one piece of advice uh, you could give me? He's like, don't ever get comfortable. He's like, we got comfortable and we didn't see what was happening. And that's what what passed us by. He's like, make sure you're always stretching and pushing yourself to the extent that you're uncomfortable and get comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. I was like, huh. And I've done that. And you know, so far, so good. Yeah. Well, I usually also ask for a favorite quote or mantra. That sounds like a pretty good one, unless you have something (laughs) else that you'd like to throw in there. (laughs) No, that, that, that works. Yeah. Awesome. John, thank you so much for this insightful conversation. Really thrilled to hear about the ways that you work with clients and the intentionality you put into it. Can't wait to see what you do next. We'll share your website and your mastermind and everything in the show notes. And with that, thank you to our audience for coming back for another episode of Your Brand Amplified, our three times a week podcast. And I'll be back again in a couple of days with another amazing expert. Want more? Check out amplifywithannika.com or follow me on socials at amplifywithannika.com.